think about this. We all kind of like categories in our life, right? We like structure. We like to know where things fit, maybe even labels. We like to call things what they are. And if we can name them, sometimes we can understand them a little bit better. And so we tend to categorize those things. And I think we do that with our life as well, right? We have some things that are are physical things, right? There's our physical health and well-being. We exercise or we don't. We sleep or we don't. We intake, we don't. All of those things. And then we have like our mental well-being and our emotional state, right? Sometimes we talk about it. Sometimes we don't. Depends on where you are on the spectrum. And then there's also like our spirit, and do we talk about that one at all? I don't really know. But there's, there's these different things that we label. And, and we tend to think that they're separate from one another, that they're in separate categories, and that they don't really interact, right? How common is it to think that it doesn't really matter what I do with my body. It's not really going to uh, affect my spirit. Or even sometimes how we put in hierarchy certain healths, right? We might, uh, let's say even in the church, we might even celebrate spiritual health and diminish the importance of our physical well-being, as if it isn't as important. Or in the world, sometimes we, we might uh, celebrate or um, hold up our physical well-being, not just our physical well-being, but how we look, how we appear, our image, and maybe not take into account the, uh, the viability of our soul and the health of our souls. But I wonder if we're more integrated than, than we believe. We don't have to look much farther than like modern medicine to consider how pervasive this philosophy actually is, at least in Western society, right? How often do you go to the doctor and they're taking care of your body, your mind, and your spirit? I mean, I know even after having a baby, I went back and they're like, you're not bleeding, you're good. Like I had a surgery. You're good. And I was like, but I I don't know what I'm doing. Like emotionally and mentally, I wasn't good. But they're like, you're good. We don't need to see you again for another year. It was disconnected. And we kind of buy into that philosophy in our own lives. And we get educated by what it is that society says and not always educated by what it is that God says. So we're going to spend some time actually over this next month in a series called Soul Detox. Now, maybe you've done a detox before, a juice cleanse, a Whole30, something, where you've restricted something or increased something and you've noticed a difference in how your body responds. Maybe you're sleeping better. Maybe you have more energy. Maybe your skin clears up or your hair gets shiny. I don't know. But you're starting to feel good. You're like, oh, there there might be something to this. But the concept is is that you reduce the toxins that are in your body so that you can work and function at an optimal level. Well, what about our souls? What are the things that detox, what are the toxins that affect our soul, our inner being? What are they? Could we identify them? Are we pretending that they don't exist or they don't affect us? And then if we do identify and recognize that they are affecting, what do we do about it? How do we detox our soul? So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about a couple of things. We're going to talk about forgiveness. We're going to talk a little bit about, what's the thing you're talking about? Repentance. Yes. I was like, redemption? No, that's not it. Repentance? Like, ooh, like who talks about repentance? Right? They are, they are very related. We're going to talk about words. What our words and our thoughts do to our interior life. And we're going to talk too about barriers that we have to God. Our our own intimacy with God sometimes has barriers. And what can we do to remove those barriers so we can move into full connection? Because I believe God designed us when he created us as holistic, interconnected beings. Our body, soul, mind, will, emotions, and spirit. God breathed his life into us, his intelligence into us, his creative power into us. 
And then as he redeems us, he becomes the place. Our bodies themselves are not separate from our soul, right? They're all together. And our body, we're told in scripture, becomes the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. We are actually the house of God. Well, doesn't that give you some like, Ooh, maybe I should be taking care of my body a little bit more. It is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. But this isn't about that. Today, we're going to focus a little bit on forgiveness. So let's be courageous together over these next couple weeks as we talk about some maybe uncomfortable things, but where we try to mine scripture for some truths that we can apply to our lives so that we can live with fully functioning and vibrant souls. We can experience a detox of our souls together. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that your word is actually true. We're thankful for the space to listen to your Holy Spirit, to hear your truth and receive it for ourselves and to allow it to transform our lives. So I pray for this space over these next few moments that you specifically would speak to each one of us in our hearts, that you would help us to see where it is that we might be misunderstanding you and what you have for us and that we would replace it with truth and that you would be glorified. I pray that my words would not be mine, but they'd be yours and that your Holy Spirit would transform it into life-giving truth for everyone. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. So this week, we're going to talk about letting go and moving forward. You might have to take yourself back just a little bit to your days on the schoolyard playground where they had the monkey bars. Yeah, they just had like straight ladder monkey bars when I was growing up. Now they got these like swingy things where they kind of swing and they got a triangle and then you release and swing and then release and swing. But you remember trying to figure that out, right? When you're super small, it's a little overwhelming because it's hard to recognize that you got you to gotta kind of fling into nothingness and hope that you catch the next rung before you let go and swing into the other. And then you kind of get stuck in between the two and you got to fall down. You got to start over, right? But once you get that, it feels glorious because you're like, whoo, 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 I got this. And then you run back from some more and you go again. Whoo, but there's a necessity that you learn to trust inside of yourself to let go of the rung behind you and swing forward to the rung in front of you. It's just the nature of it. And you get the right momentum and you're able to accomplish it. But if you don't, if you don't let go of the bar behind you, you lose your momentum and you get stuck. And I think that's what happened to us spiritually sometimes as well. We have a hard time letting go of the old self, the old identity, the who we were before, and swinging into the future, grasping onto the new identity and the promises that are a yes for us in Christ Jesus, and we get stuck. And we wonder why we've lost our momentum. We wonder why we had to fall off the bar, and we get discouraged, our hands hurt a little, and we got to go back for more. But I think what the great lie is, we become disillusioned into thinking that we can hold on to what it is that we had that was comfortable or safe or familiar, and yet still progress forward into the new. We tell ourselves we can have both. I don't actually have to go to the discomfort. I don't actually have to let go. I don't actually have to swing forward and grab onto something that I'm unfamiliar with. I can stay safe and comfortable and still have momentum. And that's just not true. So spiritually, when we feel stuck, sometimes even we think we're doing all the right things. We're, maybe we're spending time in the word of God. We're praying. We're developing spiritual friendships. We're trying to live inside community, but we still feel stuck. Why is that? Pete Scazzaro, the author of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, he proposes that people often plateau spiritually because they aren't 
growing emotionally as they're growing spiritually. So they try to move forward with their spiritual disciplines and development, but they don't bring their whole emotional being, their mind, will, and emotions with them. It's this idea that the two have to work together. And I think what happens with us, one of the things that leaves us most stuck spiritually in our own spiritual growth and in our own relationships is our misunderstanding of forgiveness. We don't have a full revelation of what forgiveness means for ourselves from God. And because we don't have that full revelation, we fail to understand it. We fail to receive it maybe fully for ourselves. We remain tied to our old identities, failing to let go of the bar behind us and to those ways of life that bring fear and keep us from moving forward. When we misunderstand the power of forgiveness for our own lives, it actually leaves us not free enough to extend forgiveness to other people, to actually be conduits of love for people from God and of grace, and we become trapped, trapped in bitterness, maybe even trapped in hatred. We're stuck. But as followers of Christ, we're called to live with power. We're called to live with freedom. We're called to live with love with a full redemption, a full view of what forgiveness means for us. We're called to bring it with us into this new way of living, this new identity, a countercultural way of living that demonstrates how powerful this redemptive love really is. In Colossians 3, verse 12 through 14, the NIV translation states it this way. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now this is written to followers of Jesus, people who have received the love and grace of Jesus already in their life. And it's it's got this premise already that says you're to live differently. You actually are to live with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Those are the things that are to undergird or to be the flowing river underneath the way that you live your life. And then bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you have a grievance. Well, how much am I supposed to forgive? Well, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Oof, okay, well, that's really big. And put on love. The premise is an understanding that we first have a need for forgiveness. Our sin problem is what creates the forgiveness need. It starts with this premise that I know that I need something. I can't be perfect. I can't be redeemed. I can't get to this place of holiness. I can't get to this place of patience, of love, of humility, of kindness, of any of those things that God's calling me to on my own. In fact, I need something to make the connection for me. Romans 3.23 says this, for everyone has sinned, lest you not forget this. For everyone has sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Now that might not sound like it's very hopeful or life-giving of a verse, but I think it's really important to remind ourselves of this because the farther along we get in our spiritual walk, sometimes we can forget where we came from. The fact that we have all fallen short. And in fact, we all still do fall short to God's glorious standard. 
Last summer, we did a a whole series called The Gospel-Centered Life. And we started to talk about some principles of the gospel. And one of the elements that I really liked was this diagram. And I'm just going to describe it real quickly. And it's this idea that if you were to be on a trajectory of your spiritual growth and development, formation, you start here, you understand Christ. You have a, a, a change of heart and you understand your need for Christ, right? And as you keep going, two things happen. As you keep walking in your spiritual formation, two significant things happen. One, imagine a top straight line arc, like a top of a V. That line as it goes up, is it's our, that is our increased understanding of how holy and good and awesome God is. Now, his holiness, greatness, and goodness has always been great, but it's only as we grow closer to him that we realize quite how great that is. But simultaneously, as we're recognizing God's glorious standard of his being, we also, a downward trajectory, so this is the bottom half of the V, is our own understanding of our brokenness and our own sinfulness. My own, as they call it, depravity. My lack of holiness. My lack of goodness. My lack of ability to be like God. And so there's this gap between God's holy standard of goodness and my need for salvation. And there's only one thing that fills that space, and that's the cross. So when I came over here and I first recognized my need, the cross might have been small. It was powerful, but it might have been kind of small. But as I actually grow in my spiritual formation and God's goodness gets so much more glorious and my need for salvation becomes so much more clear to me, the gap has to be filled. The cross gets bigger and bigger and bigger and more beautiful and more glorious. That's a part of our spiritual formation. And so we never forget that the cross is the thing that connects us back to God. So now my ability to stand before God free without any guilt, without any shame, without any condemnation, is only because of the cross. God's justice was satisfied in Jesus, and so our relationship can be restored. It's through Jesus that we receive forgiveness, and that's the only way. Psalm 103, 8 through 12, says it this way. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. For some of you, I feel like that is the truth you need to hear today, is that the Lord is actually compassionate and merciful, slow to angry, and filled with unfailing love for you. He will not constantly accuse us, nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all of our sins. God is not a punishing God. He does not, he does not deal harshly with us as we deserve just reminding ourselves that we actually do deserve that, but that's not how he handles us. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the heights of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. And I feel like in that, we need to understand the full completion of forgiveness. So forgiveness is not something we experience at one time in that point of decision for Christ. Forgiveness is something that we continue to experience throughout our relationship with Jesus. Just like when you grow in a relationship with another person, there's just not one understanding of love that you have when you first agree to be in a significant relationship, right? When I got married to Danny, we didn't just have one moment where we agreed to love each other and we're just living off that love, right? It's a daily commitment and a daily choice and a daily recognition 
of what is in that love, and it grows in richness over time. The same is true of our understanding of God and our need for the cross and understanding the fullness of the forgiveness that is ours. It's forgiveness through Christ that brings us freedom. Freedom. Not condemnation, not chains, not stress, not anxiety, not worry, not doubt, not fear. Freedom is what is ours through forgiveness. 1 John 4, 15 says this, all who declare that Jesus is the son of God have God living in them. And they live in God. We know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. God is love. And all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. So if you're seeing the connection here, God dwells in you. God is love. Love dwells in you. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. It's a continual process. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in the world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If you are afraid, if you are afraid, it's for fear of punishment. Huh. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. And I just think this scripture is so beautiful because it really attaches the identification of God's love for us and how that actually transforms our perfect love in and of ourselves to trust that in the future, we're going to be okay. That my present now and my future self is not living under condemnation. I no longer am living under the punishment. I'm no longer living under the pressure of the laws. I am actually free because forgiveness when we fully understand it, actually frees us from the toxic nature of fear and shame. A lot of what we struggle with sometimes is that we are actually fearful that we're going to get in trouble. In some way, whatever it is that you believe about God, if you believe that there is this higher power, there's something in our nature that says, if I do this, something bad's going to happen. If I don't do this, something bad's going to happen. You'll even hear people joke sometimes very oddly like, oh, I don't know, the judgment of God's going to rain down on you. You better watch out. Lightning's going to strike you. First of all, that's not good theology. But secondly, that is actually how we live in our mind, right? Fear. Fear that we're going to get swatted on the wrist. You were a bad kid. You didn't do the right thing. Fear that says we're disqualified. Fear that says that we're not enough. And that fear leads us to shame. See, God's forgiveness frees us from the power of shame. We are no longer living under the shadow of condemnation, but instead we can live in the wide open space of his love. We can silence lies that tells us that there's something wrong with us because of the wrongs we have done or the things we have thought. Instead, we are a new creation in Christ, able to live free from the bondage of shame. Now, there's a distinct difference between repentance and shame. Repentance says, I did something wrong and I'm sorry and I want to live differently. Shame says, I am wrong and I have to hide what's wrong about me for fear that others may not love me or accept me. We'll take more time to talk about repentance next week. But I just want to tell you that shame is not from God. 
it is not the it is not the correct mental and emotional leap from recognizing that there's something that needs to be changed in your life. Shame is not a tool of God. It's a lie from the enemy that keeps us hiding in the shadows of self-loathing and keeps us defensive, keeps our walls up, keeps our heart hard because we're hiding. And sometimes shame can even keep us confused about who we are in Christ. Our new identity is fully forgiven and made new. Romans 8, 1 through 2. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. (sighs) That's a good word to refresh your soul. I don't know about you, but I forget about that. I choose to condemn myself. You didn't meet the standard. You didn't, that person doesn't approve of you. Who knows? Whatever it is, you've got these things, and I condemn, condemn, condemn. Not enough, not enough, not good enough. Try harder, blah, 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 blah. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. Freedom. Life. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. I don't know if you've heard that before, but because you have the life-giving power of the spirit of the Lord inside of you, you actually have freedom and power over sin. It's not something that just happens to you. It's something you have power over. Second Corinthians 5.17, and this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. So I'm not just saying this stuff. This stuff's in scripture. You are a new creation in Christ, meaning the old stuff, the bars that were behind you, are no longer the things that you need for momentum. You have a new creation that is full of new life, fully redeemed, co-heirs of the kingdom of God, and you have to swing to it. And you have to believe that you are who God says you are, and that's where the freedom is. We have to let go of the old to move towards the new. A part of our new creation is living out of this new found identity. We are no longer under the power of death, but under the power of life. We are no longer under the power of sin, but we are under the power of righteousness. Not self-righteousness, righteousness. We, as Christ followers, redeemed children of God, we bring life with us. We bring hope with us. We bring love and freedom and redemption with us. We operate with kingdom values when it comes to our relationships. We are counter-cultural. Let's go back to Colossians 3, 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience because you are dearly loved. And bear with one another and forgive one another if any of you have a grievance against someone. That's a command. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So because we have experienced this freeing love from Jesus, we are actually called to forgive. You've probably heard of the parable of the unforgiving servant or the unmerciful servant. It's something that Danny's taught on before. We've used it in a variety of different ways. I am going to reread the story because for some of you it might be new but also as just a reminder, and I want you to think about which character are you in this story? How are you identifying with this truth? Matthew 18, verse 21. 
Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, this is one of the disciples, he came to Jesus and said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? It feels like a very, uh, a very real pastoral care conversation. Somebody from the congregation comes to the pastor and is like, hey, this thing happened over here. How many times do I let them get away with this? How many times do I forgive them? Jesus answers, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. So a lot more, a lot more than you were originally thinking. Therefore, he says, goes into a story. I love it. The kingdom of God is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay it, incapable of paying it, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all he had be sold to repay the debt. Impossible. And this, at this, the servant fell to his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. Wow, freedom. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him like 100 silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay me back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what, he, what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all of the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed it over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back what he owed. Then Jesus sums it up. He puts a bow on it for everybody. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Whoa. How easy is us? it is for us sometimes to receive forgiveness for ourselves and turn our back on forgiveness for other people. Well, you don't know what they did. You don't know how bad it was. You don't know this. You, don't, you know what? I don't know. But God knows. But the point of this story is to remind us, to humble us, to connect us back to our own story, to connect us back to our own need for forgiveness and to reconnect us back into the love of God that transforms us, the perfect love that transforms us and fills us and allows us to turn to our neighbor and extend forgiveness. And the weighty thing is, is that our own relationship with God is at stake. And why is that, you think? Well, I think partly because God's trying to highlight the importance of forgiveness as a core value of the whole truth. But I think also because the only way that we can truly forgive other people is when we truly understand the fullness of the love of God. When I grow into that love is only when I can forgive. So guys, forgiveness, it's a choice. It's not a feeling. If you're waiting for the feeling to motivate you to forgive that person, you're going to be waiting all day. You're like, well, that doesn't sound very fair. Well, it might not be, but it's true. You might have heard of um, Corrie Ten Boom. Uh, she has a really amazing story, and she's written some books and things of that nature, but she, uh, she was held captive for a long time, concentration camp, everything like that. And a lot of her ministry coming out of that is been a ministry of forgiveness. And she says, forgiveness is an act of the will. 
and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Right? So this is not somebody who's not experienced this. This is somebody who's had to fight for the freedom of forgiveness, right? Deep wrongs and injustices have been experienced by this person and yet can get to a realization that forgiveness is an act of the will. It's a choice. It's not about the temperature of our heart. For some of us, we just need to hear that our heart and our will are independent of each other as far as function. That my will actually can command my heart. My heart is not the Lord of my life. Your feelings are important. I do not want to diminish them. But they are not ultimate. When we forgive, we are acknowledging that someone has wronged us. So we're not pretending it didn't happen. We're not sweeping it out. We're not even like minimizing it. These are real injustices and hurts. But we're acknowledging that they have wronged us, but we're waiving our right to do them harm back or to wish harm on them in return. Forgiveness does not mean that what they did was okay. It is not a hall pass. Forgiveness is simply saying, I am not going to allow what they did control me any longer. It's creating a separation. And forgiveness also doesn't mean that you continue in a cycle of pain and abuse. Forgiveness simply means that they don't owe you anything. Because Jesus has already given you everything that you could need. What about justice? Some of you are thinking, justice matters here. It's not okay for people to just do whatever, whenever, and get away with it. And you're right. You know that God is the God of justice. He authored justice. He is the perfect keeper of justice. And sometimes I think we hold on to unforgiveness because what we want is justice. So we think by holding somebody accountable in unforgiveness that somehow we're going to get justice. But that actually doesn't work out. Justice belongs to the Lord. And his justice is greater than ours. Isaiah 51, 4 through 5 says, Listen to my people. Hear me, Israel, for my law will be proclaimed and my justice will become a light to the nations. My mercy and justice are coming soon. My salvation is on the way. My strong arm will bring justice to the nations. All distant lands will look to me and wait in hope for my powerful arm. How can you wait in hope for God's powerful arm when you're busy holding up the weight of unforgiveness in your heart? Hope. Hope in God's powerful arm. Psalms 33 Five, the Lord love seeing justice on the earth. Just in case you didn't know, the Lord loves seeing justice on the earth. That is his heart. Anywhere and everywhere, you can find his faithful, unfailing love. Ooh, tricky. Now love is connected with justice. Hmm. Justice matters to God, and he has a plan for it. But if we hold others in contempt with our own unforgiveness, we actually keep justice from flowing out. We hold back the redemption. We hold back the salvation. I have a question for you. Have you ever felt bitter towards someone? Sometimes you got to take a moment. Connect with the reality. Have you ever felt like you were treated so unfairly that you feel entitled to this bitterness? This is the seed of resentment. Resentment a bitter indignation at having been treated unfairly. This is what Hebrews 12, 15 says. 
Watch over each other to make sure that no one misses the revelation of God's grace. And make sure no one lives with a root of bitterness or resentment sprouting within them, which will only cause trouble and poison the hearts of many. So this resentment, this bitterness is connected to poison, poison for your heart. Scripture's saying it right there. I'm not just making it up. This is not some sort of psychological jargon. This is God's truth. Bitterness and resentment are poison to our heart, but it doesn't only cause trouble for our heart, but the hearts of many. It's toxic. It gets in the water. It spreads. Bitterness and resentment poisons our souls. So we've got to detox our soul. It's our choice to forgive that actually frees us from the toxic bitterness and hatred that can leave us trapped. Awesome. So what do we do about that? Wonderful. So I realize I got a little bit of bitterness in my heart. You can also start coming up. Maybe you've experienced a harm recently. Maybe you experienced something decades ago. But it comes up every once in a while. Maybe you've done something recently or a while ago. Just this morning while I was getting ready, God reminded me of something that happened probably five years ago. And every once in a while, it just like rehearses in my brain. And it comes up again and you know, if I'm evaluating the things I've done wrong, I'd put, I'd put it on like a scale of one to ten. It's probably like a four. So it's not even one of like the, the greatest grievances, right? But it mattered because I felt like my best just didn't show up. I didn't treat somebody well. I didn't, I didn't present my best. And it's so interesting because five years ago, and it, it circled back through my mind. Condemnation. You aren't good enough. You weren't good enough in that moment. In fact, that person probably thinks this about you. They're probably harboring that against you. And I was like, what? And I had to, in that moment, God gives you the practice of things that you're preaching a lot of times. I had to actually choose to forgive myself for not showing up the best, receive God's forgiveness, and to rebuke condemnation. So I think for some of us, that's the first step. We have to actually choose to receive God's truth and grace for our own hearts and stand as forgived people and rebuke the condemnation that comes against you and the enemy tries to tell you differently. But then we also have some of the work because relationships are messy and stuff happens. And we don't always extend or receive love the way that we should. People don't always show up for us the way that they should. Parents, teachers, family members, spouses, we disappoint one another because we're not God. We are not holy, but we are being made holy. And so I want you to spend a moment just praying with you. So I, I think you should close your eyes. You don't have to. You totally have freedom to leave your eyes open. This, there's no special thing that happens when you close your eyes, but it does actually help you to focus. We got a little bit of music going here just so you can't hear the person breathing next to you. But I want you to focus on your own breath. Allow it to center you. Connect to your body. Connect to your mind. Connect to your spirit. And I just want you to think about, survey your life over the last week, year, decade. Real quick. Holy Spirit, I pray that you were to reveal to us any place that we're harboring unforgiveness.
We trust your sweet spirit to show us the way. Now an event might have come up in your mind or a person, an idea. I just want you to hang on to that for a moment and we're gonna deal with it. Don't have to judge it. You might be surprised by it. It's okay. Let's just handle it together. So I'm gonna read a prayer out and I want you to process this and pray it. Now, it's really powerful if you pray it out loud. You can whisper it. It doesn't have to be shouting. But there's something really powerful when we speak words into the atmosphere. So I want you to follow along with me and just pray this. If you're you're ready to deal with this unforgiveness, pray this. Father God, thank you for forgiving me for all of my sins. Because of your forgiveness and as an act of my will, I choose to forgive and you just... You just say that name right there for hurting me. Specifically, I forgive them for what they did. I forgive them for what they didn't do. I forgive them for what they said. forgive them for what they didn't say and I forgive them for how it made me feel I forgive them for having issues that prevented them from relating to me the way I needed them to I realize that their issues are their issues they are not for me to fix and they are not for me to carry. I choose now to release, I'm just saying their name one more time, from their sin against me, and I cancel the debt they owe me. I release them from any judgment or criticism I have held against them, and I give you permission to deal with them, love them, Teach them as you see fit. I forgive them for all the pain and suffering I've had to deal with in my life because of what they did. Okay, now this part here, you're going to listen. This is called listening prayer. And you're just going to ask, Holy Spirit, what lies am I believing because of this situation? Maybe it's a view about yourself or your relationship, about men or women or marriage, fatherhood or motherhood, about God, about your character, about love. Now, after you've listened and you've received something that's a lie, Holy Spirit, I forgive them for the lies the enemy brought to me as a result of their actions. Lord, I reject the lie that you would ever treat me this way. Father, you are good 
and you love me. I am a treasure. Now you're going to listen again and ask Holy Spirit, what truth do you want to give me in exchange for this lie? In the name of Jesus and the power of his blood, I cancel Satan's authority over me in these memories and situations, and I break the assignment of the evil spirits to keep me bound in these lies. Holy Spirit, heal my heart and heal my mind. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.